Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest, well, she's an amazing woman. Um, she's a television presenter, an author of the most incredible books, a podcast host and a mother of two. It's Dorno Porter. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'd like to say, like, just doing this was really breezy and easy. And I didn't, I, I'm in my friend's house down the street from my house because they're away because I couldn't possibly have done this in my house right now. Um, well, what time so is it there? Kitchen table. About just coming up to noon. Okay. I'm literally having to put, like, to put it in nap times. So either the baby's nap time or when they're all asleep because there's just otherwise yeah, there's exactly. no chance. Yeah. Valentine dropped his nap um, the week that lockdown started. No! Yeah. <laughs> we were like, no way. Anyway, we've managed to work it out that um, if we walk him in his stroller, he will sleep. So we're just kind of in that habit of around two o'clock in the afternoon. One of us takes him for a walk with a dog and he'll he'll pass out for an hour or an hour and a half. And um, thank God, because that, that was just... That was, a, that was a devastating moment when the last one drops their nap. You're like, no! <laughs> Did he just start refusing to go? Did he just start... Yeah, he's got a real mind of his own. He's got a real mind of his own. He's one of those kids where, like, um, 
one night just refused to sleep in a cot anymore and just like, no, I'm going to go in a big boy bed. And that was that done, done. <laughs> I had exactly the same, I've got to say, with my second. It's like he just had his own mind. He knew exactly what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Out of his cot really early, dropping the nap, doing everything. I think he started learning how to ride his bike a week after Buzz could ride his bike. So it's literally like, right. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it straight away. They are. It's funny with the second. Also, you're just, oh God. I mean, with Art, we had this thing at bedtime. He was like, went to bed at seven o'clock. I was really strict about it. Nanite, darling, creep out the room, all the lights off. That's it. Don't see him again till seven in the morning. With Valentine, it's like running around until nine. And I'm just saying, go to bed. He puts himself to bed, like gets in, pulls his covers up. Like Art would never have done that, but he probably would have done. But by the second one, you realise that you don't need to be this kind of, you know, micromanaging person and so they're just I think they're just a bit more I don't know they're just a bit more liberated aren't they they work it out by themselves yeah I always thought it was a middle child thing but it's definitely a second child thing it's like they just come with a new energy that's completely like I'm here now I know you think you've got it sorted but actually I'm going to show you wrong exactly it's basically them saying everything you thought you knew and that you thought you were going to get again is what I'm not going to do <laughs> Was Valentine was Valentine calm when when he was first born? Because Buddy lulled us into a false sense of security. He was really calm and chilled. Like Buzz would play drums around him. He'd just sleep through the naps. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I had Art, he was so chill. My first. I was like, I don't know what all the fuss was about with newborns. This is great. This is great. He does loads of napping during the day. He's really like he wakes up for a feed at night. I pop him on the boob. Then he goes back to sleep. No problem. It was gorgeous. And then Valentine was a really, really lovely baby, but just not not like that as sleeping. He just wanted to be up or on me all the time. I had to hold him constantly. If I put him down, he'd cry. I was like, I, I, this is intense. It was just really, really different. Art would just kind of hang out in his little bed all day. And then I'd kind of pick him up to feed him. And he, he was just so easy. But, um, but Val was always one of those babies where... He'd cry in the night and you'd go in and sometimes be up for two hours with him, but he'd never like, well, rarely, unless I kept trying to get him to sleep, scream for two hours. He was just so happy to see you. So we always thought, I know, so we always thought, look, at least we've got the situation where he's a rubbish sleeper, he's uploads compared to what Art did, but he's kind of pleasant to be around when he's awake. So I was always grateful for that because I know some of my friends had babies that screamed all night. We kind of didn't deal with that. He was just up a lot. So we were up, but giggling. Well, well, he was giggling. I wasn't doing the giggling. He was giggling. <laughs> but I, I was just, I thought I was quite grateful. So he was quite a calm person. And he was always a really, like, smiley, calm, sweet baby. And then, you know, he's just turning three in a couple of weeks. And he's just like, I mean, they're, they're maniacs. He's just a maniac. He's just like, <laughs> it's just like he's on speed. <laughs> oh. I want some. <laughs> like, they've just got so much energy. So much. So much energy. How are you so finding lockdown? I mean, it's all, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We've just started. We found, um, I, I've had to just go back to work in a, like, hardcore. It's eased up a little bit here. A friend of mine was um, using a babysitter who was totally isolated and just working with them. And so when they didn't need her anymore, we're having her for a few hours in the morning at the moment. Otherwise, we just can't get anything done. And that's obviously helped enormously. But we did just over two months of nothing and then um but I just I just couldn't work and you have to we've had to just be honest about where we're at like keep those circles tiny be really careful like she doesn't go anywhere we don't go anywhere and it and it's helped a lot but um but still it's only a few hours a day and so it's still pretty intense but for that first two months 
Here's the thing. The honest truth is I really enjoyed it. I love my family <laughs> and I love being a mum. And I think I've been working way too hard for the last few years. And I got what I think I've been asking for. In a, you know, I kind of, when I'm working like that, I have these dreams of, um, you know, just being at home with the kids, cooking all day, hanging out and doing all that. And it's, and in one way, that's really, really, really lovely. But it's just that feeling of seven days a week, 24 hours, the relentlessness of it after about five weeks was like, God, you just don't get a break. Like it's, it was, it was full on. I've got two really energetic boys. You know, they, Art needs to be, Art needs to run. He needs to like basically do four hours of aerobic exercise a day. <laughs> Otherwise it's just a total disaster, which you know all too well. But, um, but we had a good time and we, you know, we, we, we made, Chris and I said right at the start, we have to treat this like the longest family summer holiday of all time. We're on an island. We chose to be here, that kind of attitude. There's no one else around and this is what we wanted. And we just kind of lean into it and enjoy it. And a lot of the time we felt that way and a lot of the time we didn't. But I'm glad that things are slightly easing up a bit. But it's, the main challenge was just trying to work. Well, did you, well, how it. did you do it? Did you have to try and do it in, in that nap time when there was an hour or did you have to do it in the evenings or take turns? Well, see, the problem was we had a really good schedule. Um, so we take it in turns to get up with the kids every morning. Chris does 11 till 9 till 11. I do 11 till 2.30. Chris does 2.30 till 5. I do 5 till... 6.30 and then we both do bedtime together. And that worked really well. But I I couldn't write in that time. Nothing that I was kind of, I was doing a blog and that kind of writing was okay, but I couldn't work on one of my books. So I, I pretty much took two months off work, which I could just about do. But then at the end of that two months, I mean, I ha- you know, I had to get back to work. My, I have to like feed these people. So it was like, <laughs> that, that was the reality of it. But I did, I took two months off, which I think my body needed and my head needed. And my family needed. And so it was it was the right thing to do. Is that a um, weird thing? Because I kind of have that at the moment as well, where I know I've got a deadline, I have to be working towards it. But I know I only have short amounts of time. And when you're writing a book, you need hours to kind of go into a character and think about what they're feeling yeah. and develop things. And it it takes that time. Um, so I, I think I spent the first bit of lockdown quite stressed about that. And then as soon as I sort of said... Actually, I don't, I, I, I can't, I've got to, I just felt that weight kind of go away and then be able to enjoy being with my kids a bit more because there wasn't yeah, this weight I think me. that's exactly right. When you're not trying to work, being with your kids is much easier. One of the hardest things about um, being really busy and having small kids is that when you're with them, you're always like thinking about work or being distracted or trying to do work. So I, yeah, so that was what, exactly right. For that couple of months, just had to give up. We're in uh, a moment in history in the world that is, there's nothing we can do about it. If we don't just succumb to it and give into it, then we, I mean, we'll go, we'll go mad. It wasn't, you know, the, the deadlines could wait for a bit. Everything could wait for a bit. Let's all just kind of get through this and get through this. And so that was what, that was what that was like. And now it's got to a point where I'm like, okay, that's fine. But now, um, now we need to pay checks. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I want. To, I look back on. I look back on lockdown, um, and it's still going to go on. I think it's going to be a big part of our life for the next year. I'm fine with the tiny, tiny circles. I'm fine with not seeing my friends. I've dealt with all of that really well. I just. Um, I've 
not missed stuff as much as I thought I would because I know this is temporary and I know everything's going to be okay. Just really focusing on that kind of tiny family life, getting our work done. We got a little bit of help because we needed it. We really trust that situation. I could coast like this for a very, very long time if we need to. I feel like we're now in a position where we've worked out our schedule. The kids are fine. Also, we're so lucky in respect of... um, my kids are still at that age when Chris and I are their favorite people. <laughs> like, they you know, they want to be with mummy and daddy all the time. Like, they, I was really surprised about how little Art has kind of talked about his friends or missed them. And I'm really grateful that this has happened for us at this point in parenting because I'm not dealing with a kid that's absolutely gutted because his social life isn't happening or he was halfway through exams and isn't getting to, you know have his kind of end of term prom or whatever it is. I I don't know that I'm just not dealing with any of that stuff. I'm just dealing with the kind of the energy levels that it takes to keep them occupied. That's the challenge. What are yours like at sitting down and just doing arts and crafts like that type of stuff with you? I've seen you baking. I've seen oh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 something, Dawn. It's something. <laughs> Do you know, I've improved. Right, I have to say, to give myself credit, I'm a really good cook. Like I cook every day, and throughout this whole thing, Chris has just been eating like it's Christmas Day every day. Like last <laughs> night, I made this amazing lamb and rosemary pie. We've been having this these incredible meals, but I cannot bake. I can not do anything that remotely resembles mathematics. And for me, that's what baking is. If you don't get it exactly right then it's a disaster. And with cooking, I'm like, chuck some of that in, chuck some of that in. And I kind of, you know, know what I'm doing enough to make it work. But I thought, right, kids love to bake. They love it. So I gave it a go. My God, squishy, floppy cupcakes. Also, I mean, I even made a carrot cake that looked really good on Instagram. It was kind of not that great. (laughs) It was quite hard, but I'm really trying. I'm determined by the end of this to at least be able to bake. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, I know. I'll keep going. (laughs) and <laughs> um, they they are quite good at that arts I realized at the start of this art was really like he'd wake up in the morning and just go and sit at the dining table and draw or write um, letters and he was so obsessed with it all just wanted to write words and do all of that like because I have not committed to remote learning at all we tried it for that first few weeks and it honestly just really depressed me to see my five-year-old sitting at a computer like he was going to work I just could not get on board with it at all and also just thought look he's five he doesn't it doesn't matter next year if this is going on we're going to have to do better but this year like let's all just cut ourselves a break and so because of that (laughs) he's not interested in writing drawing (laughs) anything anything that nourishes his mind at all um and I said to him yesterday sit down you're gonna write because he's obsessed with dinosaurs you're gonna write the like diplodocus and he was like no I don't want to that's so boring I'm like oh okay so now he just has no interest in learning anything but you know what He's fine. I saw a great meme that reminds me of a great meme that I've seen um, going around saying, uh, note to pair, note to teachers, when my child comes back to school, just so that they can, you know, the transition goes well, can you just every now and then mutter under your breath, for fuck's sake, <laughs> just to make them feel yeah. like they're still at home? <laughs> like, oh. I know, exactly, exactly. Oh, my kids love to swear now. We've nailed oh, that. No. That's, been, that's been fascinating. Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a cracker out of Val the other day. But anyway, look, you know what? It's just survival, isn't it? We're all in survival mode. Yeah, and sometimes I, so mummy, some, sometimes mummy says naughty words. Yes, and there are worse things that can happen, so that's fine. We had to sit down yeah. as a family actually and kind of go, look, this is a very odd situation, and sometimes we're all going to feel a little bit irritated by each other, and we're going to 
feel angry and we had to kind of just sit around in a circle it was our first sort of family chat of sitting down and talking about it all um but the kids are just you know i think they just take it all in their stride for the first month they thought the virus the bug was an actual bug a massive bug that was going around getting people i mean that's quite scary (laughs) i know no wonder they were happy to stay Um, indoors yeah, yeah. I've been really honest with Art about it all because I have um, I have the radio on all day, yeah. the talk radio, and, you know, that's basically everyone's going to die radio here in America. And so he, I realised that he was listening to a lot of stuff. And uh, so I was just like, look, there's a virus. It's like the flu. Kids don't get it. You're absolutely fine. But we can't go to school because um, you might spread it. And isolation means that you're just going to spend loads of time with mum and dad. And he was like, yeah, all right. And he always says things like, when isolation's over, can I do this? And I'm like, yeah. And then he kind of runs off happy about it. So... <laughs> You know, but that's because we we're really we're really like spending the kind of time with them where usually I'm this really functional person. I you know I give them breakfast and I make their lunches. Sorry, I scratch my nose. That's really nice for everyone to watch. <laughs> and um and I uh, and then I you know I get later in the day I you know pick them up or we take it in turns a lot and making it sound like I do everything. I really don't. Um, but I, you know, give them dinner and then put them to bed and it's all a bit kind of functional. And then at the weekend, everyone's exhausted and we just kind of plod around. And now we're like, we've got structured days mm-hmm. where I'm playing more than I've ever played. I've always found playing really boring. And now you just have to get down on your hands and knees and build the Lego. So that's how it's, they're loving it. I think I'm being who they've always wanted me to be, but I've always been really distracted. I find that really, I don't know about you, but as soon as I press send on an, an on an edit, the way it feels like I am a totally different person. I know. It's amazing. I mean, it's such a relief. It's like getting the baby out. I describe it the same way every time. <laughs> I said I just gave birth again to a body of work. But so it's only nice. then when I press that send button and then walk back into the room and see the kids, that I feel like I'm actually seeing them. And I think that's what yeah. lockdown has given us is that that ability to kind of like push everything else aside and just have that like see their faces smiling and not at the back of your head kind of you're looking but you're not seeing because you've got a million things going on behind you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think yeah, it's, that's exactly right. Like also, you know, TV. I I was not going to have a situation where they watch TV all day. Like some day we like Sundays we were way more relaxed about it, but I just wasn't going to have a situation where we watch TV all day. And so for that to happen when they're at home, we had to come good with you know, with being with them. It's, I've learned a lot from this, actually. I've definitely always had that mother's guilt that everyone talks about that you swear you'll never have. I've had it for years, had it for years. Like, just that I'm always, you know, I might not be at work, but I'm thinking about my books all the time. Yeah. I'm always working. I'm always working. I'm always making notes on my phone. I'm always making notes in a notebook. I'm always saying, hang on a minute, mummy just has to write something down. And that's been really nice not to be doing that. And I think I've had a chance to be the mum that I've always kind of fantasised about being, but not quite been. But also I'm really looking forward to not having to (laughs) prove my point. (laughs) I proved my point. Get me back to an office. It was nice to be her for a while, but can we just go back to normality? (laughs) Yes, please. Exactly. What was your childhood like? Oh my God. I mean, that's a big, deep question. Um, I mean, I had a weird childhood. I... My mum and dad got divorced up in Scotland when I was one. And so my, she moved with my sister and I down to Guernsey. And we lived with my mum's grandparents in not a very big house, in a little townhouse in Guernsey. And then she died when I was seven. And so a lot of that before that was looking back, 
you know, she was very ill for a long time of that. We weren't hugely aware, but she would have to kind of go to Southampton for treatment or she would just be very weak and up in bed. And my grandparents were, I guess, raising us and we'd go and stay with our aunties and uncles at the weekend. And that was kind of normal for us. But looking back, that's not normal at all. Like, none of that's normal. There were lots of, lots of grown-ups around. Um, I had two cousins. One of my uncles, my mum's brother... Married well, married someone quite wealthy. And um, she had two kids already, uh, Charlotte and James. And Charlotte is so my step-cousin, like one of my best friends now. But it was strange for us because they had everything. And I didn't feel like we had anything. And so we were always with them. And I remember just this kind of, this feeling of longing that life was slightly different from a very early age. Not that I was unhappy. I just remember thinking, oh, we've got a weird... We've, Jane and I have got a... My sister have got a, a weird thing. Like, who... We see our dad maybe once, twice a year, because he lives up in Scotland. Mummy's around, but she's not. She's not really like the other mums because she wasn't well. I've got these kind of aunties that step in in a kind of bigger role than normal, I think. Um, and I look at my cousins, and she's got, she's got all of the Cabbage Patch dolls <laughs> and all of these, all of these things in this kind of bedroom with a four-poster bed and all of this kind of amazing stuff and. We don't have any of that. It's it's weird. Like, the, and then my mum died, and our bedroom became the room that she died in. Oh <laughs> god, so depressing. Did you and know I remember that? Just, yes, 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 yes. And I just remember being. And we carried on living with my um, grandparents until I was ten. Until my aunt and uncle took us in when we, when I was ten. My sister was um, two years older. And then that was a massive cultural change for us because my grandparents were incredibly kind of urban people. They weren't creative types at all. They were quite basic furriers from East London who'd ended up in Guernsey. And then my aunt and uncle were these kind of party-throwing bohemians, <laughs> very kind of creative and interior designer. And, you know, and he was a pilot, had a little plane and was a pilot. And they would, like... I always say when I lived with my nan, we kind of ate. Uh, it was a ham, egg and chips type up, upbringing. And then I moved in with my aunt and uncle and it was like, you know, a, a piece of fish sautéed in butter with capers with a salad on the side. Oh, type darling. Thing. So our lives changed. <laughs> I know. So our lives changed dramatically when I was 10. And it was, you know, so my auntie kind of became my mum, but they'd already, they were older than all my friends' um, parents. They'd already had two sons who had um, kind of gone to college and so they're well into their 20s. And then suddenly they've got these two girls that they're suddenly raising because my uncle's sister died. It was all, you know, God looking back as a grown-up now, what they were experiencing was a whole other thing to what we were experiencing. So it wasn't easy all of the time. And it was, you know, it was great. And I'm so grateful. And I'm who I am because of that kind of, you know, bohemian influence and that you know, the way that they opened my mind to the world and encouraged what I wanted to do. And it was all great. But, you know, it was, I was definitely living in somebody else's house yeah. and felt that. And so, and that, I don't know, that, that makes you a certain kind of person, I think. And so I, I see the effects of it all the time. But yeah, so that was my childhood. But I was happy and I was living on, I was living on Guernsey. I had, went to a great school. It was an all girls school. I had, I had friends. It was wild. You know, I kissed way too many boys before I was 16. <laughs> I was, I was, and I say kissed because I'm on a podcast being polite. <laughs> but, um, but I was, I was happy. I remember being happy, but I remember knowing that I was, very different from everybody mm. else and so being a little bit of an outcast who refused to be an outcast and would always just do whatever I could to be like the most popular fit in with everybody I'd say that's a pretty good assessment of what I was like that's really interesting and have you seen that sort of continue a little bit 
into adulthood or is that something you've kind of had to shed? Oh, it's something that at 41, as a mother of two and who's happily married, I've probably shed. But my kind of exhausting need to be liked was a plague that followed me for my whole life. I just think it was... Ultimately, I think I'd experienced some really sad stuff and I just wanted everyone to like me and be nice. And that didn't mean that I was always nice mm. and that didn't mean that I was this kind of lovely, sweet, lovable thing. I think I was a fucking mess looking back. But I think ultimately I just wanted people to like me mm. and I just wanted things to be easier. And I was just really sad and we never talked about how sad I was. So we just kind of had to get on with it and be... I don't think it's any coincidence that I wanted to be an actress and I wanted to, you know... Uh, to be on the world stage mm. at all I think I needed I needed to I wanted to be seen I wanted to be noticed I wanted to be told I was great I wanted all of that and then I think you know I, and then I went into a TV career and then around kind of eight years ago always written always wanted to write always wanted to be a writer even since when I was a kid was writing stories writing stories but I kind of had this other thing that I thought I wanted to be famous and act and or be a presenter and do all these things and actually when I ended up doing TV stuff. I didn't, and I went to drama school. Just didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to enjoy. It. I actually didn't enjoy being the centre of attention as much as I thought I was going to, and kind of got swept along that wave for a while, and then got really into writing, and realised that writing gives me the perfect amount of attention. I guess I get. I, I write a book and I have an audience. People read it, and I get. I get to be to do my thing. Yeah. But I don't actually have to kind of walk out on stage or be on TV and do all that stuff, which I actually didn't enjoy as much as I thought I was going to enjoy. And then I think I kind of, you know, met Chris when I was in like mid 30. No, I met him on my 30th birthday, fell in love. That irons out a lot of your creases and chills you out. Then I kind of became a mum. And now I just I love the position that I'm in, which is. I really don't care if I walk into a room full of people and they like me or not. And I don't go out of my way to like make them which I used to yeah. I used to like pull out the jazz hands wherever I was and be like look at me this is what I can do you're gonna be my best friend <laughs> um I've just kind of really chilled out on that which is so nice I don't care if I'm ever on tv again which is a massive relief and I but I like the fact that I have um readers and I can kind of you know get my voice out there so I feel like I've settled in quite a comfortable place which is I mean it's a huge relief to everyone around me <laughs> and myself <laughs> I must have been I look back on myself in my 20s when I had those kind of blinkers on success I worked in TV production and then I was on screen and I was like I will be something I'm gonna be and I must have been like quite hard to be around I was like, god I was just on this mission and um I said like, god I mean, there must be so many people out there who just think I'm the most just awful because I was just I was just on yeah I was just I was just going forward at all times so, so exhausting. But maybe that's what you should be like in your 20s. Yeah. Well, in I that, think, though, did you ever think about having your own family and being a mum? Was that, or were you so focused on, well, on the success and, and, and sort of I, having that career? It's weird. It's a weird question because I remember not particularly wanting kids for a very, very long time. Um, and then when I got together with Chris, and obviously he's, you know, strong Irish stock and wanted kids... I, I really didn't know. I didn't know if I wanted them, but I think I was still on... I, I didn't understand how it could work with with what I want, you know, everything else that I do in my career. And then I think what happens with babies or what happened with me is I literally just woke up one morning and it was like, thud, I want a baby. <laughs> I was probably about 35. Um, I was in a good relationship. We just got married. And I was like... I Actually, it was more the feeling of... 
I know for sure now that if I don't do this one day, I'll regret it. And, um, you know, heading into my kind of second half of my 30s, I was like, right, I'm just ready. And then it was like all I wanted. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the honest answer to your question is, no, I wasn't dreaming of family and kids because I just wasn't ready for a baby. For me, it didn't happen until I was physically ready to have a baby. Mm. Before that, I was just... So how do you... And I always vision... Had you two not spoken about having a family before that moment? Oh, yeah, we'd spoken about it, but I still hadn't said to him, oh, this, that's definitely what I want. And I think, to be honest, before we got married, I think before we got married, I'd said to him, well, well, you know, I'm almost sure I will. But I think there was a moment where Chris was probably quite worried that I would, like, turn around and say I didn't want kids. Right. And I, I mean, that would have been... I, I, we wouldn't have... Like, he wanted them. That would have been a, that would have been a game changer. But, it, yeah, it just came very kind of... My sister had just had them, and I kind of loved her kids, and I think that made me think, OK, I think I could do that. But I did always imagine myself as being, like, the kind of, you know, in my 40s, no kids single traveling the world writing books which I was also really excited about <laughs> a very different life to the one you're living now yeah, but a great <laughs> life I've got friends that live that life and it's fantastic and I'm like god there's such joy to be had in life when you don't have children don't even as you know, part of lockdown when we speak to my friends we have a weekly zoom chat on a Saturday and the first thing we do to my friends that don't have kids, we're like, come on then, tell us, what did you do this week? What did you do? What did you have for lunch? Where did you have lunch? I know. Just those, God, oh. can you imagine? Dreamy, 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 dreamy. I think that both 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 lives have strong benefits. Yes. But, um, but I do fantasise about my life alone and Jesus, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so from the moment of deciding, you know what, actually, I definitely want that, did everything happen yeah. quite smoothly? Um, oddly, I was just writing about this this morning. Um, yes, it did. But I realised when I started to uh, try for art, I didn't know anything about ovulation. So I just kind of, you know, took the coil out, opened my legs and thought, woohoo, here we go, I'm going to get pregnant next month. And it didn't happen for a while. And then a friend of mine was like, well, when do you ovulate? I was like, oh, uh, what? I, 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 the, what I said, you're, I, I'm only going to tell you that I was writing about it because um, people might read it. But I wrote this this morning that I didn't listen in sex ed because I was too busy scratching cocks onto the desks <laughs> with my compass. Um, but I didn't know that you could only get pregnant for a couple of days a month. This was total news to me. So anyway, then I got the ovulation kit, you know, discovered ovulation and realised what a marvel that whole thing is. And um, and that next month I got pregnant. So it was pretty easy the first time. Yeah. And then, but it took a, it took a lot longer with Val, but not uh, probably about six, seven, eight months. I can't actually remember, but it wasn't, you know, I was a bit older and I don't know, everyone says it takes longer the second time, but still it wasn't, um, I was very lucky. I didn't have to have any intervention at all, thank mm. God. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Um, and-, and it was great. I loved being pregnant with Art. Being pregnant with Val was fine. I moaned a lot. I had really bad sciatica, right. so I could barely walk across the room. Um, and I think Chris found me quite moany that time. But with art, I was just, oh, my God, I just thought it was amazing. I was the only time in my life I've confidently worn a bikini when I was pregnant. I absolutely loved it. And it was great. And I was very lucky. And then and then birth. I were. So I found first time around in pregnancy as well, because you only you, that is what you're doing. You are growing that child. That is the one thing. So for me, I could have the naps. I could do what I wanted. But then second time around, you have the first child to worry about. So all of that goes out the window. So physically, you are just doing so much more. So it makes sense that the other one is like is tougher on your body anyway. Yeah, I don't know how people, I mean, obviously you've done this, like that third pregnancy of when you're looking after the other ones. I mean, that's, you know, a big reason why I wouldn't have a third is because I just, 
I was apparently sciatica gets worse mm. each pregnancy. So I just don't think I'd be able to move. And I just don't want to do that to the other kids. And also I've had absolutely no need for another child. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that it gets harder to be pregnant the further along you go. And, you know, um, but I st- it was still fine. I didn't have any, I didn't have any issues. Art was actually breached. I was so determined to do natural childbirth. Yeah. And um, a couple of weeks before I was due with him, he just hadn't flipped around. And I'm, like I didn't, I, I wasn't scared of childbirth at all, but I was quite scared of medical intervention. I've never really had an operation. I hate needles. For me, that gave me a huge amount of anxiety, the idea that I was going to have to have a C-section. And so when he was breached, I kind of looked around. I was in, we're in, out here in LA and I, I tried to find a, um, a doctor that would deliver a breached baby. I was just, I'm just going to do it. And there, there was only like one or two and it was at a, doc, a, a hospital really far away from my house. He didn't really want to do it, but he would do it. And I hadn't met him before. And I was just like, this just isn't feeling right. Anyway, art was due on the 16th of January. And on Christmas Eve, Chris and I were staying in LA that year. It was just the two of us for Christmas. And we were, it was, um, and I was kind of dreading that kind of miserable feeling of knowing that I had an operation coming. On Christmas Eve, I went in for that treatment where they flip the baby. They give you this kind of drug where, um, you feel like you've had about 17 espressos and lie on your back and they monitor you for hours. It's so boring. It's so boring. And there's basically a 50-50 chance that they're going to be able to turn the baby around. One doctor pushes up, the other doctor pushes down on the outside of your belly and they just go and try and push the baby. And they're monitoring you the whole time because obviously that can be quite distressing and you could go into labour and they might just deliver the baby there and then. So you had to pack a bag and accept that. I was like, I can't have a baby on Christmas Day. I don't have a baby on Christmas Day. <laughs> anyway, suddenly it was like they just went, pop, done. And he'd flipped. And um, I went on to have a great experience of birth with him. And so, um, yeah, that was, that. I mean, that was incredible. Tell me, tell me, okay. how did it all happen? Okay, so my, my birth with art... He came, um, my birthday's on the, he was due on the 16th. He was, he was, my birthday's on the 23rd. I was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Not sharing my birthday. <laughs> anyway, he came, I went into labor on the 24th. The <laughs> good, good. Uh, probably around, probably around five in the afternoon. I knew I was in labor. So Chris and I went out for dinner. We got a, um, and, oh no, hang on. That wasn't art. That was art. <laughs> um, so we with our, we just we kind of seen I've got all these really smug photos of me in the early stages of labor I had a labor dress a vintage dress that I had for labor lying on this kind of on this chair with the dog and the cat on me eating something going this is fine what's all the fuss about as you know as someone who's had endometriosis I was like I know I'm gonna get through this I know I'm gonna get through it and um anyway then it kind of you know ramps up a bit quite quickly and I, oh, suddenly I'm on all fours, mooing, like, wow, this is, this is getting strong. This is getting strong. We had a, we were going to hospital, but we had a doula. So, um, as things start kind of going quickly, we text the doula and she's like, okay, I'm just out for dinner with my husband and we just ordered dessert, dessert. So I'll be there soon. And Chris is like, no, I think you need to come now. And she did that thing that they always do like, oh no, it's first time baby. You think it's coming. It's not coming. It's not coming. And I was like, this baby is coming. This baby is coming. And so anyway, she eventually arrived and I am, my waters have broken. Now, luckily I was sitting on the toilet. So I just like did it all into the toilet. And I was just like, okay, all felt a bit dramatic because it was a real pop. And, um, and then I could feel the baby coming out of me and, and that feeling of like, it's bowing down, like it's in my 
it's in my like canal it's coming like I felt like it was firing out of me and she's being so lackadaisical about the whole thing you know breathe breathe be like the fucking baby's <laughs> coming and I said I can feel his head you sorry I'm so swearing don't sorry, worry don't worry don't worry this is a, no wonder my kids are they're gonna be in prison by the time they're 16 anyway um so I I said to look I really think you need to it's but by this point around uh midnight and I said I think you need to um to see so she kind of snapped on some marigolds, loaded her hand up with olive oil, put her fingers inside me and just looked at Chris and said, we need to go right now. <laughs> and so suddenly it was a case of getting to the hospital. Now we'd chosen to go to a hospital that's about half an hour drive away. Oh. Um, and that car journey was the worst part. Like that was, he's coming in the car. And I remember just um, just singing, waters have broken <laughs> in this like really delirious state that I was in. Got to the hospital, managed to, got, they put me in a wheelchair, wheeling through the um, hospital. Poor Chris, I'd packed so badly. I'd packed like four different bags that he was trying not to drop. He was so cross with <laughs> me. Got up to the reception of the birthing ward and I'd forgotten my ID. And because this is America, that was a problem. So there's a moment where we're all sitting there and I'm like I promise you it's me the baby's coming and they Chris oh, I think he had a word and then they were like okay go in they didn't have a room so I got put in a really bright cupboard threw up all over myself <laughs> um and they said Dawn the baby's gonna be here in a couple of minutes and Chris was like please get her into a better room because this is the lights were just horrible it was just making me go crazy anyway then everything slowed down the drive had really stressed me out the whole thing I just and it took me about four and a half hours to push him out I was falling asleep between contractions it was really really hard and then the doula that we had she was great but she was so relaxing she was like no just breathe and Chris was like no (laughs) this isn't gonna work and he sergeant majored it was amazing he said dawn do you want to cut that baby out no okay up on your feet up now up and he held me underneath my arms and every time I had a contraction, like push me to the ground, it's like one, two, three, push. And he turned into everyone was just like, stand back. The doula's now on the other side of the room, and Chris is like doulaing the shit out of this situation. <laughs> and he's like, get that baby out. And everyone's like, oh my god, it's that guy from Bridesmaids. He's going. <laughs> anyway, suddenly he was absolutely right. I needed that energy. I needed someone to tell me if you don't do this, they will do this. And um and you know, what do you know? I suddenly just said, I'm ready, and I just flopped onto all fours on the bed and I uh, just um popped out. How amazing though as well. After years of being together, that you had both both of you in that moment seen such a different side of each other. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's so animalistic be, and yeah, kind of I know. I think he couldn't believe I was doing this. I think there was a part of Chris that, because I'm so scared of like wasps, I think he thought that I couldn't handle pain, but actually I'm really good with pain. I wasn't scared of pain at all. And then um, Chris is quite a dominant character. So I, I wasn't I wasn't like, God, who's that guy? But I was like, I was so grateful when he stepped in. Yeah. Um, and it, and what, what ended up happening was it was mine and his experience. There could have been no one else in the room. And um, he was absolutely amazing. Now we have this joke that he should be everyone's backup doula because he could deliver a baby. I always think if anyone goes into labour in a public space, I hope to God that Chris is there for them because he could deliver a baby, <laughs> no problem. Anyway, after all that, we had we had such a good experience of birth. I didn't even have any stitches. I don't know why. Got a big elastic fanny and everything was great. And um, and so because of that, but that drive being the most stressful thing and people saying your second comes quicker, I did a home birth with Valentine. And it How was, was that? magic magic absolutely magic I went into labor at the same time five o'clock in the afternoon um 
put Art to bed, got a babysitter. We went out for dinner. Um, was heavily in labour in the restaurant, just about made it home. And it all kicked off. Had the baby at 2.22 a.m. Art slept through the whole thing. Woke up in the morning to a baby brother. Couldn't have been better. I know. I know. I was very lucky. And I know how lucky I was. And I feel like that's another reason not to have another one. I feel like you'd be jinxing it. You know, it was all just two really good, strong, good births, healthy boys. Everything's great. And, um, and yeah, God, but you know, anyone who's given birth, you sometimes look back and you're like, did I do that? No matter what your story is, even if it was awful, I've got friends who nearly died in birth. Like it can go so differently to my experience, but whatever your experience was, you did it. Like you did it. And it's so like women are unreal, unreal. And I think Chris as a guy was so blown away with that, that he was like, they have to have your surname. <laughs> Do <laughs> they? Like, I can't take... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So they're reporters. They're reporters. He was like, they need to have your name after that. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, th- I feel like it's only listening to other people's stories. And I do still love One Born Every Minute um, when it, whenever I see it, because I think there is something that is, unless you experience it, there's nothing like it. You can't explain no. that feeling of a baby. You, you just can't. I know. But do you ever crave it? I'm not sure. I, sometimes I just feel like, obviously, it was way more painful than I remember. But I sometimes just feel like, God, I'd love to feel another baby shooting down my birth canal. <laughs> kind of that feeling of like, what it does to you. And that, um, you know, I one one of my friends, like we both like our word for birth was booyah. It's like you get it out. And it's like, yes, I just did a baby like rah, so primal. And my births were really, really um I felt like a wild animal, you know, doing, I felt like I could have been doing this in between two trees in a jungle. And I just felt so like in touch with my animal side, you know, I didn't feel human. It was, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I feel like such an arsehole every time I say that, which is actually why this is the first time I've ever told my birth story publicly <laughs> because I, I know that it's, you know, people think it's, uh, I don't know, I'm so scared of being called smug because it was such a good experience. But um, but here's the thing. I When I was pregnant, I realised how everybody wants to tell you how awful birth can be. Mm. But I, I just thought I was not being surrounded by positivity and like yoga mums telling me, I was being told about how awful it was. And so when my friends are pregnant now, I say, you know, it might be awful, but it also might be like this. And I'm just so glad that I've got a positive story that can maybe not terrify pregnant women about giving birth because so much of it going wrong can be down to anxiety Mm -hmm. and how terrifying it can feel because you think it's all going to go wrong. And also, obviously, then there's all the medical stuff as well. And it might, it might, but, you know, but the fact is, is that sometimes it can also be fine and we are built to do it and if you really really believe that you can and like Caitlin Moran wrote about that in her book how her first birth was absolutely awful and then for the second one she knew she could do it Mm. and that you know that changed the experience so I do like to kind of you know hopefully make women feel confident before they go in and then I've got some friends who had a terrible experience and they're like (laughs) why did you tell me everything was gonna be fine sorry sorry I've got to say after having buzz I literally said that was the most amazing thing I've ever done great what was it like what was it like meeting art for the first time oh god I mean 
I remember he made his way. I was lying on my back, actually. I didn't, I had fall on all fours. So I was lying on my back and I remember Art kind of made his way up my body. Huge hands, huge feet and huge nostrils. <laughs> and I remember the first thing I said was, you're going to be massive. He was, they were both nine pounds. He was nine pounds too. And I think Val was nine pounds. And, um, and because Chris is enormous and I'm pretty tall. So I just saw these big paws and was like, oh, you're going to be massive. And he, he went straight onto my chest. Breastfeeding was a breeze. It was, I just loved him. And I love, love, love having newborns. I could do that. I could have a newborn for the rest of my life. I absolutely love it. Love night feeds, love all of it. It was when they started to move that I was like, hang on a minute, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> and what is this two and a half year old animal that lives in my house? <laughs> Well, that's the other thing, though, isn't it, when it comes to meeting them for the first time? Because I think the other thing is that bond that people feel so often that it might not be there. But it sounds like for you guys, it was literally <laughs> you did have that instant connection. And you got the yeah. textbook breastfeeder where they're going to sniff out the boob. I know. Yeah, he's, I let him snuffle down and he found it. It was great. And then I ate my placenta, put it in capsules, which I do think is like good for all the things it says it's good for. I think it, it, I think it's good. But I just, I felt very good. I was really lucky not to get any postpartum depression. I was really ready, was really ready for it. Yeah. And I was also running a business at the time and I was very stressed about work and the baby was the easiest part of everything. I was so, I was having such a hard time, like financially because of my business. I was so so stressed I was working so much literally baby on the boob computer and phone in the other hand so my baby was just this lovely thing that was happening amongst all of that and then when I was seven months pregnant with Valentine I shut the business I was like I'm not doing that again I I just don't want to miss out and then I took six months off writing so it gave myself because when you're self-employed you don't get like any maternity leave so I didn't take any with art with Val I gave myself six months and I just I didn't do anything other than hang out with my baby and it was fantastic it's just nice knowing it. that you can be with them and there's nothing else there kind of almost robbing you of that time. Lockdown. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's like you said before, be careful what you wish for because here we go. I know. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I had a really great experience of it all and it was, I, I, yeah, I feel very lucky. I mean, my sister was the same. We had really similar experiences of birth and she also had two boys so I felt I weirdly kind of felt like I knew what I was in for I just trusted that we would be similar a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And how, how, how did you find the going well actually when you first decided to go back to work and having art how was that because for me I felt like I had just got to know Buzz we'd just kind of relaxed into it his personality was starting to sort of shine through and I was getting all the laughter and everything back and then I had a book to write so I had to leave him at that point I felt a real tug it was hard I mean it was weird because I I do I did work from home a lot so I would I got some childcare. And I'd be there a lot. Mm. Got an office out in the garden, which worked really well. But then I needed, then that kind of, I couldn't get enough done. So I went to, um, I got an office space when he was around eight months. I didn't get childcare until he was about five and a half months. And then I worked from home for a bit. And then when he was about eight months, I got, I started going out to an office. And most of the time he was with Chris when I was there or with Mary, who was this lovely lady that we had at the time. I felt really good about who he was with. That really helped. Yeah. And, um, and I just needed to work. I was so, so I didn't, I missed him and I was still breastfeeding. So I kind of would pump in the, in the toilets of this workspace and all that kind of stuff. But I felt all right about it, actually. I felt, um, I felt because I didn't get any help until he was about five and a half months, which I know isn't that long, but I was working all that time as well. And I felt like I'd done really well mm. and that it was, it was time to kind of get out. And I'd go to work for like four hours at a time. Yeah. And then, um, and then come back. So no, it was fine. And then, um, yeah, but I worked from home for a long time with childcare at home and just me, Chris and her kind of split the day. So I was still very, I never went out and did like full nine to five days for a really long time. I was very much around. But that is what you do out, I mean, when lockdown isn't a thing, that is how you yeah. do it now, isn't it? You're literally like, I'm off out to work. I know it's creative, but this is my nine to five. And, I, yeah. and I'm not going to feel guilty about that because that is work time. Yeah, exactly. I'm starting to get in that now. So I'm getting four, four hours a day of straight work now which up until two weeks ago, I wasn't getting, you know, I, I I really do. I said, I said right at the start of all of this, um, what do we want our lockdown story to be? How do we want to look back on this time? We are so lucky. We've got a nice house, got a really happy marriage. We've got two gorgeous, healthy boys. Um, this can't be a terrible experience. I want to look back on it as like, the family time that we'll never get again. Mm. You know, Val's going to start school maybe in September if it's open. And then they're really, they're, you know, they're off. That's it. So he, I was going to have him with me. And I was taking quite, a, I was taking, you know, a day or day and a half off right now to be with Val. And I also have a workspace here where um, he's in a nursery downstairs. I've mm. been doing that for the last year. So even when I go to work and do a nine to five, he's downstairs. I go down and see him three times a day. And, you know, I wasn't ready to kind of give that up. And this has given me that last few months of just being with him before he goes to school. It's it's been good. I'm never going to look back on this negatively. And um, even on the heart, you know, I, I, I started off quite sad. I just lost a friend at the start of all this. So I was in a bit of a like bad emotional place. And I think what I really needed was to be home and be really live a tiny life and a really intimate life with my family and kids. And I think maybe that was a really great thing to have happened to me. I was very aware of that. And I was very um, grateful. I went, I went into lockdown grateful for my family and not taking them for granted because I needed them. 
um, when if this has happened, say, last year, I might have been a bit more like, oh, God, you know, this is such a pain. Yeah. But I was actually... I think it's exactly what I needed. I think when you are so busy as well, it would have been very easy for you to kind of go, doing the book, I'm going on tour, I'm doing all this different yeah. stuff, and just keep going, where because you have lost your friend, it's probably given you that time to really process it as well. Yeah, it really and heal, has. I mean, you know. it, yeah, it has. I mean, there's, you know, there's a strange feeling of when, when you're experiencing grief, not that I want to go into this, but no. when you're experiencing grief, you feel like the world stops turning, yeah. and then the world did stop turning, like the whole world started experience this massive collective thing so I didn't need to be out in it at all mm -hmm. I didn't have a choice and um but like I said I just felt I just felt already before this started incredibly um grateful for my little team and um I think I, w I was afraid of going anywhere I didn't want to be sociable I didn't want to do anything and so I feel like um I just got an opportunity to kind of be forced into what I needed and so that made it and has made it actually quite pleasant. But my God, I am a raging alcoholic now. I have drunk wine every day since this happened. And every day I think, no, I'm not going to drink wine today. And Chris will literally hand me a margarita. <laughs> what time and are we talking? I, what time? I mean, it's been as early as noon. Um, but on average, on average, I give them dinner and stick the TV on about six o'clock. And yeah. then Chris and I will sit out the back and have a drink. And then... It will just, you know, how much we drink for the rest of the night depends on how we're feeling, basically. But we keep saying to each other, this isn't ideal, but then none of this is ideal. This is not normal. We'll do some ginormous liver cleanse when this is all over and everything will be fine. I'm eating a lot of milk thistle <laughs> capsules. But I was just like, God, it just, that end of the day, you just want to kind of put your feet up and you see that wine lurking on the wine rack and you're like... Just a little one. Just a little one. <laughs> you posted some amazing stuff on Instagram during this whole time. I know you've got a whole whole blog and you've got a podcast on there and everything. And it's insane the amount of work that you produce. But your, just your Instagram and your Instagram stories have been amazing. There was one that I had to send my sister where both the boys were just kind of, you were trying to talk about something. They were just like, mum, 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 mummy, mummy, yeah, mummy, mummy. And I'm like, yes, that's not just me. It's unbelievable. And then you're like, what? And they're like, what's this dinosaur called? I don't know. I don't know. The dinosaur stage is just, oh my God. But yeah, you know what? They This age, I mean, they're just, they want you all the time. Mm. They just, and they're at the age, they do play well on their own, but they, you know, so I get like time when kind of Art's off with his dinosaurs and Valentine's off with his sea creatures and I'm, you know, um, on Instagram. And, uh, <laughs> and that's quite nice. I don't have those kind of kids that, are, you know, I have to play with constantly or that need your attention, which I'm grateful for because I don't think I'd be very good at that. But um, but they do just they do just demand so much for you. But God, I mean, they're great kids. Thank God. You know, they're brilliant. I love them so much. I love them so much. And I just think we've all got so close. Mm. But like I said, I'm never going to have mother's guilt about working again. As soon as this is over, I'm out. I'm done. You're done your time. <laughs> yeah. 12 hour days in the office. That's it. <laughs> I've got to say, so obviously you are doing promo at the moment for, um, so lucky that's coming out in paperback. Yes. And, um, I think it's the first book that I've ever read that deals with mothers in a way that is raw it, I don't know there was just so much rawness in it in a way that is still light and um I don't know you can accessible but in a way that really punches you 
So even if you've felt a tiny part of that feeling like you are incapable as a mother or you're unworthy, you're unlovable, all of those different parts, which, you know, we all know that we can feel fleetingly in a day or it can really heavily hang on us. Yeah. Ah, the book is done so well. It must have been such an emotional right because you're, you know, all those insecurities you're kind of like needling on, needling into. Yeah. I mean, I think like motherhood is obviously when you go into it, And if you're happy about being pregnant and you want the baby, you're thinking it's going to be this amazing, romantic, fantastic experience. And it it is a lot of the time and it can be wonderful. But you also have days, weeks, months um, where it's just so hard. Like just after I had Valentine, I was just so obsessed with my baby. Chris took six months off as well. So he... um, well, he didn't actually; just didn't get a job for six months. But um, <laughs> he, but he, um, he was kind of on art, and I was on Val. And at the end of that six months, art was really cross with me. Um, I, I, and I, I had a bit of making up to do, and he gave me a really hard time. And not to be horrible about my sweet boy, but he was he was quite a hard toddler. As you know, yeah. the meltdowns were big. If we went, if I like the idea of going to a restaurant with three rolled art would have been an impossible thing. I couldn't. We couldn't live that life he would just he was hard if I ever got childcare, he would you know give him a hard time it was just it was just difficult and most of the time when he was with us and everything he was you know he was wonderful but trying to kind of be out there in the world was just like oh my god this is just really exhausting and I'd have some times where I just think he hated me which was stupid but just in those you know I was up with the baby half the night and feeling really like oh my god this is just hard work and then we'd have the most perfect times of the minute would be the most amazing kid. And I was like, thank God, I think he's just a typical toddler. I haven't had one before and this is all normal. But I just, all I had to do was imagine, but what if it was like that all the time? Mm-hmm. And then what if it was like that all the time, which it is for a lot of people, and you're on your own, you're a single mum. And what if it's like that and you're a single mum and then you are just racked with insecurity yourself? You have a physical condition that makes you feel like total shit about everything about yourself. You don't even want to go out there into the world regardless for yourself, let alone have to be there for a kid and so that's how my character of Ruby was formed and um and I think I understood like my bad days were her normal yeah and it was really it was quite therapeutic to talk about it because I realize now looking back having had another toddler that that was just all completely normal and I was just tired because I had another baby and um thank god our turned kind of four and a half and basically turned into the Disney kid. I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. But he's like, Mom, are you happy? And I'm like, I love you, Mom. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Um, anyway, it was rough there for a minute. But um, it was good to talk about that side of motherhood in a really honest way. And it's not necessarily a side of motherhood that I really want to talk about my own personal experiences of it because essentially I had to slag off my kid to talk about it. Yeah. But I got the opportunity to um, put it into fiction Writing that character of Ruby was honestly, it's my favourite character I've ever written. I love her so much. She is, she is just hard and uncomfortable and mean at times. But ultimately you see this journey that she goes on where she's just, you know, had a terrible relationship with her own mother and how that affected her. And hopefully by the end of the book, readers, you know, feel a little bit more compassion towards her. But, um, you know, motherhood's hard for a lot of people. And I, Yeah, I did. I enjoyed writing about it. I feel like for a lot of people as well, reading, uh, reading Ruby's story kind of, kind of helps you process your own thoughts, realize that you're not on your own, and it and it doesn't matter how what scale of those thoughts you're on, and and almost forgive yourself. I think when you're reading what you have felt and realize that you're not on your own, it kind of makes you 
release that feeling oh in god a way. so much and you, you you know all of that's so much of anything with like your community of women especially when you are pregnant um have a baby and have kill children is so important because there is nothing that you're experiencing that somebody hasn't experienced before yeah. nothing i am yet to find that thing that um is just yours if you're having a hard time with anything physical emotional to do with the kid to do with you to do with your husband to do with the other kid any of it someone has experienced it so this is you know you're you you do this for a living you talk about parenting and stuff it's so that conversation is so open I mean, imagine being a mum in the 60s where people just didn't talk about this stuff and you thought it was your fault um it can be great and it can also be really, really hard. I mean, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, it really yeah. is. I didn't understand what people were talking about when they said that when I first had art and I was all smug about my good birth and sleepy baby. <laughs> I was like, oh God. So I never talked about it. So I was like, people are just going to hate me. And then, like I said, I got it when he turned into a toddler. I was like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> and then Valentine didn't sleep. So I was like, I, I, I get it's hard. It's like, it's a toll on you, on your marriage, on your social life. You want to do right by this little person and, you know, and there's all these different theories and ways and, you know, um, ways to kind of raise a child, which I'm not into any of that. I think you just, I'm really into just instinct parenting. Scream yeah. when you want to scream, make them feel guilty when you want to make them feel guilty and love them when you want to love them, you know, just do it all. And my sister and I always said, if you act like a human being around your kids, they're going to work it out. If you go in with these kind of, you know, tactics and formulas just like they'll be like what are you talking about like I just don't it never it never worked for me that's too smart it was like stop talking to me like I'm a textbook kid and um so I just you know we worked it out eventually he saw a lot of emotion from me in those couple of years I showed him that um people get hurt as a as a, you know consequence of his actions and yeah. now he is the most caring sweet boy so him seeing me sobbing in the corner of the room is the right thing to do, is what I realised. <laughs> Not shielding him from my emotion was the absolutely right thing to do. That poor three-year-old. I'm like, you hurt my feelings. It's me under the bed hiding. Oh, God. And you never know if you're getting it right, do you? You just never know. Anyway. You don't. And I, I think it's something that we'll never stop worrying about. You know, I th I'm pretty I know. sure my mum now still worries about, you know, am I doing the right thing? Have I done the right thing? Am I enough? You know, and that's yeah. heartbreaking. That's going to be with us I know, forever. I know. I know. We're always going to be left with it. And also, I, one thing I do always think, though, is that my childhood was a mess and mm. I'm OK. Like you can. Kids are very resilient. You know, mm. as long as you love them, as long as you they know you love them, everything else is just... <laughs> whatever <laughs> I know that I've heard you talking about um your mum passing away in interviews and you saying you know that it was a sad time but a lot of good has come out of it and you, so you process it in a very different way now that art is getting closer to the age that you were when you lost your mum is he is that does that make you look at it slightly differently as he's approaching that age and seeing that innocence that children have and realizing how much you would have gone through at such a young age oh. God, all the time. Like, you know, my, I have such fear about something happening to me. I'm very lucky in the fact that they've got a dad who is so hands-on. Like mm. he's, my experience of being a mother was that I had a partner that did as much as me apart from the breastfeeding. And I always know he's going to be okay. I always know they're going to be okay if something was to happen to me, which does comfort me. But I think about it all the time and I think, God, Art and I are so close. I know everyone is with their kids. and I, But I just think I didn't have that relationship when I was a kid. So I think I notice it. Like I am 
Chris and I are the be all and end all of his existence. He loves us so much. And if one of us was to disappear, he's so bright, even though he's only five, he totally understood what happened. He's to understand now. Yeah. And I was a bright kid and I was like, God, I understood, but no one talked about it. Mm. So I was just like, no wonder I, you know, I was needy and needed attention for the, you know, for the years that followed and that I was a bit of a, like, God knows what I was, but, uh, but no wonder I was like that. I'd been absolutely shattered and it was all to be kept inside a seven-year-old. So he does make me realize, even though he's five and a half, how much I knew what was going on. Mm. And, um, it's also, I think when you said, oh, you know, good things come out of it, good things come out of you in terms of, I think you go in two directions. I became, I was incredibly independent. I was, you know, on my mission to live my best life, get yeah. off Guernsey, be something, be somebody. And um, and I think it gave me a drive that I'm eternally grateful for. Also, I have a really good perspective on life. The worst thing imaginable happened to me when I was seven years old. Like the worst thing that could have happened to me, happened to me. And it made me very tough. I'm an emotional person, but I can take a lot I can take a lot and I I'm grateful for that as well mm. um and it gave me I don't think it's any co coincidence that I'm a writer it gave me empathy for so many things it gave me so many emotions it gave me so many you know that I can tap into that it expanded my mind in a way that I'm grateful for do you so feel sad. like each book that you write you're able to process different parts of your own life because I feel like that I feel like I I put a piece of my heart into it that it suddenly may almost makes me forgive myself understand myself a little bit better and kind of just be calmer about that situation yeah. or yeah just just give myself a little bit of love and forgiveness yeah. yeah I mean there's a little bit of me in all of the books and I definitely definitely write therapeutically definitely mm. to get things of my life that I need to talk about that I might not necessarily talk about in reality yeah makes yeah. total sense but what a, yeah what a treat to be able to like I when I first started writing I was like why have I just given myself homework for the rest of my life like <laughs> anyway but I can great. remember both of us we were writing our second books at the same time and we were literally tweeting each other kind of going can we just should we just get on a plane should we just should we yeah. just go this is awful first book's great because you just are so in love with what you're doing second book is just you think it's a fluke it's never everyone's gonna find you out you're a total fraud exactly <laughs> but you just I have know, to find so your true. feet so true um, I've got to talk to you about your hangovers. Hangovers. I have had my first hangover in lockdown with kids, and it was awful. I've never had a hangover with the kids like that bad. I can't do it, Dawn. I cannot do it. It's awful. It's awful. I've got no advice for you. I do it all the time. <laughs> I'm an absolute disaster. It's it's awful. Um, I had one that I actually, I've actually got to point now, but I'm drinking so much. I'm not really getting hangovers anymore. So that's great. Um, <laughs> but after Easter Sunday, Chris and I set up karaoke in the living room and drank For like just it was, the two oh, of you. Yeah, we do it all the time. It's so fun. And, um, and we drank like it was both of our 40th birthday. And, uh, and the next morning was, I mean, it was, it was just awful, but that's the only bad hangover I've had in lockdown. Okay. Awful. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. And they don't care. <laughs> they don't care they don't give you a break <laughs> they still want all of the things <laughs> so um but yeah terrible crisps crisps <laughs> am i right in thinking that you sleep with earplugs in i sleep with earplugs eye mask and silk sleep hat <laughs> 
I slept with earplugs in when I had babies. I was like, really? sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could hear them. Like, it's, even with the earplugs in, if the, if one of the kids wakes up, I hear them straight away. It just kind of muffles out the dog scratching on the floor and right. all those kind of little sounds. But no, I don't wear particularly um, hardcore ones. Yeah. But yeah, I need it. I need just go into a bit of a cave. I've... And I take melatonin every night. What does that do? It's like an over-the-counter sleeping pill they sell here. It's like, oh, it's, really? all, it's a natural hormone. It's not even a drug. It's like, a it, but it just, it either works for you or it doesn't. It just gets me all sleepy. So I take that and go into a cave. Luckily, my husband is really happy to get up with the kids if they wake up in the night. So yeah, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need some of that. I, I have only literally just this week started wearing an eye mask. Because when I read oh, about you having dreamy. earplugs, I was like, oh my God, I have an eye mask. And it's literally changed my sleep. Completely. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I love it. I couldn't sleep without it now. It's a, it's, it's, oh, I love my eye mask so much. And if I'm, if I ever don't have it, then I'll just wrap a t-shirt around my head. Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so good. I've got a few of them and, um, yeah. And then the sleep hat, I discovered silk sleep hats last year Okay. that they, um, you just don't wake up with bed hair. Oh. I wore it last night. My hair's quite shiny today. Yesterday I didn't wear it. And it looked like I'd literally been dragged through a bush. So yeah, the silk sleep hat, the eye mask, and the earplugs. And sometimes Chris takes photos of me and sends them <laughs> to my sister, and it's like, what the hell is that? There she is. <laughs> Hashtag married to a movie star. All glam. Talking about and photos I... though, I always think about not always think about you in your underwear, but the photo that Chris posted of you on Instagram yeah. on your honeymoon. And I can remember you talking about it a little while later and being like, but that's the best I'm ever gonna look. I don't care. It's amazing. <laughs> I and he got so much shit for it. I felt Did really he? sorry for him actually. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. People were just like, oh, it's a really like, you know, mean thing to do to your wife. I was like, I look amazing. It's the best thing he's ever done I was so happy that I mean I was gonna post it I was so happy it was out there it was taken by my wedding photographer on the wedding of the morning I was weirdly skinny and my friend had bought me this really pretty underwear um my body has never looked like that since will never look like that again and I'm just so glad that that photo is just like out there on the internet how has <laughs> I love it I absolutely love it how has your um uh, relationship with your body changed over the years Oh, I mean, I just don't, I barely think about it anymore. Mm. I've got, it's the, like the lowest thing on my list, but, and weirdly, I've never, probably my body's never looked better, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I just, I used to put so much like thought into it that it, you know, I don't think I ate particularly well or I was always kind of trying to do something, didn't really do exercise, but I'd panic about it. Now I do probably, I've got a Peloton, so I do about three Pelotons a week, 30 minutes each. I eat what I want, but a lot of what I want is reasonably healthy. Um, and I really just don't think about it. I'm, I average out at around 140 pounds. Right now, I'm probably about 144. Um, when I'm really busy and stressed, maybe I'll be 138. But my, my body is where it should be at 140 pounds. And my, my normal life just kind of keeps me around that. Mm. I um. Oh God, yeah. I used to be. I used to hate my body. Really, I just. I, but I just don't really think about it anymore. For me, I think after having the boys, I. Uh, uh, I think I was in a, a little bit lost. I think I'd always had this weird relationship with my body, and then having the kids, I felt great when I was breastfeeding. Then afterwards, I was a bit like, I don't really. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm wearing. And actually, it was your podcast. Does um, it get it on? Oh, yeah. Oh, honestly, I listened to that and it completely changed how I viewed what I wore and what, and also that what I wore said something, but also it that should be how I felt, how what I wore, you know, created a feeling within me and emotionally, that was why I should be wearing something rather than yeah. thinking about 
anything else. It completely changed my whole outlook on yeah. clothes and, and body and, and confidence as well. Oh, good. I'm so pleased. Yeah, I think there's too much emphasis on what body, what clothes do for your body. And actually, it should be like, it should all be about a feeling. And yeah. clothes represent who I am. I mean, today I'm wearing this kind of green striped t-shirt that I cut in half and a watermelon skirt. And none of it matches. But I'm just, I just think, I kind of think it's quite pretty and cute. I mean, I don't, in my 20s, I'd be like, that doesn't match. And that's not fashion. And that sort of thing. I just, once you've decided that you just wear clothes that make you feel happy, mm. you're your your demeanor changes the way you stand changes uh, that's why I don't like the fashion industry because the idea that you're supposed to wear a certain thing that's in fashion is everything against how I think about clothes I couldn't care less what's on the runways that's what I don't shop on the high street don't care I go into vintage shops and I think that dress speaks to me mm. it's a weird shaped dress with naked men in boats all over it and I'm going to wear it to a job interview like it's you know because it makes me happy and I just think that's how you should feel about clothes um, so I recently wrote a book that was a series of letters on motherhood. If you could yes. write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I'd write it to my sister mm -hmm. and I would tell her that her being the most gorgeous mummy to Bill taught me how to be a good mum. And I'm just very, very grateful that I had her, because we didn't have our mum, that I had her to kind of show me how it was done and made me feel really confident about going into motherhood. And I just think she's the most gorgeous brilliant fun um clever mum she's got these two really extraordinary boys and I think that's an indication of who she is and I would just write to her and say that I'm sure she's got her own you know feelings about not having her mum around but that she's just nailed it <laughs> and we end each podcast with you finishing these three sentences being a okay. mum being a mum means eating two dinners <laughs> Since having children, I... Wet myself if I go on a trampoline. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy when... Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm happy when... Oh, God, I want to say when I'm with my family, but I'm so over it right now. Okay, <laughs> I'm happy when the kids are in bed, everyone's had a nice day, I'm having a glass of wine and a meal with my husband. Beautiful. Dawn, thank yes. you so much for coming and chatting with me. Thank you. And I'm so sorry this is remote, but ah, oh, what a time. What a time we're What a having. time. Yeah. And congratulations on you for being able to like use your brain and do this. That's really, really impressive. Oh, well, there are a few times where I was talking where I was like, what am I actually saying? Is this a sentence? No. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn will pick up, it's no. fine. <laughs> you did amazing.